Come back, Lord. Come back. Okay. Uh, and so, it, it, if you're catching my drift as I'm trying to explain these parables and, and just the heart of the Lord, it's like a little bit of like, come, like, come on, dig deep. Dig deep. And at the same time, like, if you don't really care and if, you're, if you have a different God in mind, this isn't for you. And right away, you're going to reject it. You're going to hear things, see things, but you're not going to understand because of the wickedness of your own heart and the idolatry of your own heart. And, um, and so when you look at verse 22, there's, there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. So there's this purpose, and we're going to see that a little bit later. There's this purpose that it would uh, come about. Um, found a couple new books on the, on the book of Mark today, and I just wrote down some things that I liked. And one of the books says, if the beginnings of the kingdom look inauspicious and unpromising, that serves God's purpose. The very humanness of Jesus governs the glory of God from overwhelming and blinding the world and invites people to discover the kingdom by experience. The rather baffling activity of God in Jesus is like hide and seek, only that which is first hidden can be found. And so God is in the business of revealing, um, but it's not the way you would think. When people were looking for the Messiah, they were looking for some knight in shining armor on a white steed to come and save the Jews from the Romans. But instead they had a mystery in front of them. Uh, they had this guy who's a Galilean carpenter, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You're telling me this is the savior of the world? Like, I'm not ready to hear that. I'm not ready to get that. So that's why I would recommend Ben-Hur to you because it goes into that. It kind of plays with your mind. How could Jesus really be the hero of the world? And so verse 23 goes on to say, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This uh, is a common saying in the words of Jesus. Um, back in Mark 4, 9, last week when Joe was giving us the parables of the sower, uh, the parable of the sower and its interpretation, in verse 9 of this same chapter, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, Matthew 11, Matthew 13, two places in Matthew 13, Luke chapter 8, Luke 14, if you've read the book of Revelation, we're going through it in Primeville, Revelation 3, 6, 13, 22, and 13, 9. All those references are just to show you. Jesus says this a lot. And it's such a short little saying. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And uh, it's kind of the, you know, right now I've got a 12-year-old, you know, and, and I feel like a lot of times I'm like, hey, hey, you know, but I also have a uh, a 10 year old. And in a different way, I'm kind of like, Hey, Hey, you know, and Titus, he's five today, but you're like, Hey, Hey, all the way down. There's never a time where it's not, Hey, Hey. And, uh, I just, my cousin came to church today. I haven't seen him in two years and we are really good, close friends. And, um, you know, it's crazy when you haven't seen someone in two years, you're like, man, you're getting older, you know? And, uh, and he's my, my childhood friend. And, uh, we're sitting down at Mazatlan and he gets up and he's like, oh, you have to sit on this side of me um, because I lost all my hearing in my right ear, you know? And you're like, 
how old are you again? You know, or whatever. How did, when does that happen? You know? And uh, he said, what? And, oh, but, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, we really do. And I would just encourage you guys how easy it is to read this verse and to think, well, I'm the one that has ears. You know, I'm good. Move on to the next one. Like that seems like a verse you'd kind of skip over, right? More often than not, we're the ones that need the Lord to clean out our ears. And the interesting thing about my cousin's um, hearing in the right ear was that it wasn't um, damage from something loud. Uh, It was from a virus that he got that deadened his nerve endings. And I think that's just a good picture of kind of our deafness, you know, it's like, you just, you don't have any sensitivity. You don't have any feeling for the Lord. Um, I remember in high school, one of the teachers brought one of those cotton tubes in that you stick in your ear and you light the end of it on fire. And then you, um, that heat from the cotton tube creates a vacuum and it will suck everything out of your ear canal that's in there, all the wax and all the impurities. And so this teacher did this in front of the students and we were all, what is she doing, you know? And, uh, and when she was done, you, you cut open this cotton tube and it shows everything that was sucked out of this thing. So kind of fun, also gross. I thought you guys would have heard of these before and been like, oh yeah, we know, but it's very nice. Um, and so we, that's always the joke around many of the youth is, hey, you know, suck the wax out. And we can just cry out to the Lord, Lord, I am so numb. I'm so clogged. I don't, I read these parables, the parables of the soil, parable of a lamp and, and like the light of the world. And that's just so distant. And it's so far, like, really, I think church should be over soon. Let's just get out of here as fast as we can. Instead of like, oh Lord, give me ears to hear everything that you would ever want to say to me. And I believe that when we cry that out to him, he will do that sovereign work where he lets us see and he lets us hear and he grants to us to understand these parables. And he goes on to say in verse 24, then he said to them, take heed what you hear with the same measure you use. It will be measured to you and to you who hear more will be given. So this take heed, uh, it, it means think about what you hear. And then understand what you hear and watch out for what you hear. And there's something so valuable about recognizing that the words of Jesus are the words of eternal life. And I want to hear them. Do you want to hear them? Now, there's an aspect of this. The book of James says that so many of us can come to the Bible And it's like a man looking in a mirror and we see ourselves in it. But so often we're like that man that we see the blemish and instead of fixing it or cleaning off ourselves, we go away from the Bible and we don't really hear it. We don't really see it. And so we forget what manner of man we were when we looked at here and we keep cruising around, you know, we missed this spot shaving, you know, and we got this pimple over here and this blemish here and, you know, and it, And it's like, man, look into it and let it change you. And so those of us that have any sort of, you know, here we're here. So we're here. That's a good thing. But that's not it. It's not the end. 
The end is, well, now we come to Jesus and we say, have your way in me. And the measure that you cry out to the Lord, that's the return on investment you're going to be getting. The amount you invest into him and crying out to him and humbling yourself before him in the same measure back, he's going to just be heaping upon you, knowing him, understanding him, being changed by him. But if it's just kind of religious observance, that just ends in death. And if anything, it's more destructive to your family, your home, your community than if you'd never come walked into a church in the first place. Jesus says, you do well that you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but these are they that speak of me. If you understand what he's saying there, he's speaking to the Pharisees and to the Jews and he's saying, you've been, you've been looking at the word, but you're missing the point of the word. The point of the scripture is not that you would be a moralistic individual. There are a lot of moralists that are going to hell. There are a lot of people who are trying to polish the outside through external religions and never are letting Jesus do the work on the inside in our hearts through the gospel, through what he's done and what he's doing. And so my encouragement is we're studying this and Jesus is almost, he's saying, look, I'm playing hard to get because it's almost a flirt. You know, it's almost a, I want you to know me, but I want you to want to know me. So how much are you going to just be just pursuing me? You know, um, insert story about girl who was hard to get before proposal. Okay. I'll skip that for the day, but, um, Let's just say the more she ignored my calls, the more I pursued her. Then turns out her grandpa had died. She wasn't ignoring me. She just was out of town. Um, this is a hypothetical situation. It never actually happened. <laughs> she was a good one. Um, okay. She's in the back row. Okay. So if you look at Luke six, there's this section, verse 27 through 38. Why don't you just flip over there? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Okay, so Luke is right after Mark, chapter 6. And we're not going to read this whole section, but you could do it on your own, and you'll see that the whole section really helps with this. But, but let's just go Luke 6, 35. And Jesus says, But love your enemies... Do good and lend, hoping nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is also merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom and just pause there for a second. So when I first started reading, you might've been like, what's this got to do with this parable and this little bit of Jesus is explaining why he's using parable. And now we're talking about loving our enemies and just doesn't make much sense. But as Jesus went on there, did you notice he started saying, as you're giving out to people, watch how it just comes flowing back. All right. And so then he goes on to say, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So apply this to 
knowing Jesus and understanding God's will, give to the Lord that. Start spending time in his word that you might see Jesus. Start listening to good, solid Bible preachers. Start being in fellowship. Start being discipled. Start investing in a brother or a sister. And just watch the dividends return. 2 Corinthians 9 says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Well, I never really get anything out of this, you know, Jesus stuff. And I would submit to you that there's been a level of sowing sparingly there. But if you want to reap bountifully, then start sowing bountifully. That's probably the testimony of most of us in this room. We've all played the church game. We've all been to where we'd rather be anywhere else on a Sunday morning or an evening, I guess in this case, than in church, right? We've all despaired of reading our Bible and how long and difficult it is to read. But when the Lord started working in us in a way that we saw that there was life in Jesus, then it just changed everything. Jesus is hidden in order to be manifest. His concealment intends disclosure. The kingdom of God in these little parables, and it's not going to be long because these are short little guys, but they're kind of like an embroidery. And many of us probably, in fact, I think that would be technically an embroidery that you guys are sitting on that back row, that blanket that you're sitting on. I bet if we turn that around, that looks like one of those embroideries. You know, you've seen the backside of those, right? And it's kind of all these strings and it doesn't, it looks blurry and it doesn't really have the same picture as it does on the other side. That's the kingdom of God on, um, from this side, from the unsaved person. It's when you flip it around, it's a beautiful portrait. And so consider carefully what you hear Jesus says, almost as if you were a prisoner whose one chance of escape had to do with a clue you would be told as to you know, when the door would be left open or when the guard would be leaving the keys on the hook or, you know, anything like that. What's the clue? Look at verse 25. For whoever has to him, more will be given. But to whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. One writer said this is, this, this is nearly the same Jewish proverb that is, it says, in the pot in which you cook for others, you'll be cooked. <laughs> Sounds almost like a different proverb to me, but it's, it's kind of in the same tone. It's the same process of thought. Um, whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. That seems illogical to us that more can be given to one who has than to the one who doesn't have. In fact, whatever he has is going to be taken from him. Really what it speaks of is how a certain person allows the kingdom of God to just break upon them like waves. Just more and more and more of the kingdom of Jesus poured out upon us. And it's like the more, uh, it's almost like a stretching effect, almost a, some sort of bladder or something. The more you get, the bigger it's stretched out. The more you get, the bigger it's stretched out. The one that never receives stays shrunken. And so this next parable is the parable of the growing seed. One man said the two parables illustrate the plastic plasticity. 
or plasticky is how I think of it. Um, the plasticity inherited in parabolic teaching. It accentuates the contrast between small beginnings and great results. Both parables that we are going to read are stories of surprise. One could never imagine the conclusion of the beginning of the parable. This is how the kingdom of God is. Okay, so let's look at that. You're never going to think it's going to end up being like it is. He said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now already, just real quick, we're, I know we're on the tail end of today, today's sermon, but this would be one of the opportunities that you get to say, okay, Lord, I'm getting a little yawny or I'm ready for dinner or I'm getting hot or whatever. And you can say, but give me more, Jesus, give me more. Okay, so this is, this is the chance to live out what we're learning right here. It's as if a man should satter, scatter seed on the ground. And I know what you're thinking. Didn't Joe teach on this last week? Did we accidentally start rereading stuff? No, it, it's a different parable. Still has something to do with seed, but it's a totally different interpretation and application. Okay, so try to hit reset in your mind from last week's parables that Joe taught us. Um, here he's not speaking of the effect of the word of God on hearts and the soils of men's hearts, but rather today in this little verse, verse 26, he's explaining the secret and yet truly powerful work of the kingdom of God. So similar parable, but different. All right. So, um, so he's speaking of scattering seed on the ground and very quickly, why couldn't the sesame seed leave the gambling casino? Because it was on a roll. Okay, anyways. Little pit stop for your brain there. Okay. Now the... Get it? Okay. Oh, this is a good one. Okay. Now... If Mike, if you were going to explain the kingdom of God to me, what would you use as a picture of it? The kingdom of God. Probably something. I mean, I know you already, man. You, the kingdom of God is like a Palomino mare, you know, or something. You know, whatever. You know, or the kingdom of God is like a... What did you say? No, not the Palomino I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I don't know you very well. <laughs> the kingdom of God is like a great mustache. <laughs> okay, but, oh, you know, the kingdom of God is like the Himalayan mountains, you know, or something like that. But here Jesus just goes for the glory and says, the kingdom of God is like a seed, you know, and you're like, whoa, sure know how to win crowds, don't you? <laughs> Jesus does not tell us how high and lofty God is in this but more how very near and present he is and how the basic, simple, mundane, mindless routine like planting seed and harvesting are clues to the nature of God and the plan of God. And so it's the kingdom of God. I mean, this is universe stuff that we're talking about. This is life and death. This is hope. And glory, this is like a man casting and scattering seed. Verse 27, and he should sleep by night. Oh, you know, he's yawning. And rise by day. This is just daily stuff. We don't even think about it really much. Just sleep and you wake up, right? And the seed should 
sprout and grow. But the man, he himself does not know how. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> Put it there and walked out the next day. You know, some sort of miracle, I guess. Uh, but notice it also that he does not know how. A lot of activity happens in a man's life. From the time he casts the seed to the time he walks back out and begins to see the growth. I mean, he's at all sort of functions and events and he sleeps and he eats and he cooks and he wakes and he takes the kids to school and this, that, and the other, you know, and then there it is. And I just, I don't know really how that happened. If you're going to be a farmer, you should probably take that class, um, by the way, but he doesn't know how this is a Rory Rogers type farmer here. Verse 28 for the earth yields crops by itself. The kingdom of God does it. That's the gospel. You, Romans chapter 1 verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is the power. Okay? I'm not the power. I just speak the gospel. And the gospel is the power. It grows by itself. Look at that verse 28. The earth yields crops by itself. It's the Greek word automate. And what do you think word we get from that? You guys are geniuses. Every one of you should be hosting a home group this fall. I'm telling you. It transpires apart from the farmer. And that's the kingdom of God. You know, Zechariah chapter four, verse six, and we sing it all the time. That is my truck, but it's not an alarm. It is just automate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Is it, he, do you feel that he's here today? I feel like he's here. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The kingdom of God doesn't come from us mustering up and we've got these 12-step plans. This is how we're going to usher in the, pull it up by our own bootstraps. And, you know, no, the kingdom of God comes by the demonstration of the spirit and power. And Paul talks about that in the Corinthian books. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come with wisdom of words and some eloquent speech, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. When I came, I came in demonstration of the spirit and power. And he also says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. Verse 29, when the grain ripens, and, uh, and by the way, I skipped some of that. Um, it says, uh, first the blade, uh, this is the seed growing, first the blade, then the head, after that, the full grain on the head, so the fruit of the kingdom of God. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so there's a, harvest to be had in the kingdom of God, right? Amen. We know that, that God wants to save souls. There's a harvest to be had, but do you know that it doesn't come about by our ingenuity? In fact, when Jesus talks about the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, do you know how he says that this is supposed to be reaped? He says, pray, pray the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest field. He doesn't say so Get your board meeting together and try to come up with this just lofty business plan that'll bring the kingdom of God. No, it's, hey, start praying. Start praying that God will send out workers into the harvest field. Uh, quickly, this is just a short little parable, the mustard seed. 
Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed. There you go again. Like, ah, the kingdom of God is like a gladiator fit for battle with a gauntlet and a shield and a sword. And he's got a weird trident thing. You know, yeah, you know, like, nope. Gonna go with the mustard seed on this one. It's like, all right. Well, Lord, what do you have to say about a mustard seed here? What is the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed when it is sown on the ground. It's smaller than all the seeds on the earth. I remember my sister Heather had a mustard seed necklace when we were kids. It was this clear marble and in the middle was this teeny tiny little mustard seed. And so I always think of that. And when it is sown, it grows up and it grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes greater than all the herbs. And it shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So the point of the mustard seed lies in contrast rather than growth. And so the last parable was about growth, that it happens. It's not about our works. It's not about, we don't even know the kingdom of God. It's just powerful and mighty. And it comes without human like muster. All right. Uh, but the mustard seed is about contrast. It's so tiny. This, it, it just starts out so tiny, but it's going to be the kingdom of God. And it's going to just grow so fast wherever it's planted that, that um, it, it's surprising and it's shocking. It's got strong branches and it, it'll have birds be able to rest upon those branches, which all the books that I read about this speak that it, it's speaking of God's grace given to all the nations of the world, that these birds speak of um, the nations who will come to know Jesus. And so this little mustard seed, this little Jesus in Galilee, he's a, it was born in a manger, you know, he was, uh, he lived in obscurity. He was, uh, you know, there was some weird drama that happened with his mom and his dad and no really, one really knows who his real dad is, you know, and he, he was, uh, lived in Egypt for a while. Now he's in Nazarene. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, you know, he just, Isaiah says there was no form or comeliness in him that we should be attracted to him and follow him for his stunning, good messianic looks, you know, like, no, like Jesus was a mustard seed. Okay, but you know what? The contrast is the kingdom of God grows so large from mustard seeds. That's the economy of the kingdom. This great point is that the kingdom of God arises from obscurity and insignificance. Final quote here before we close. God's reign will not only be more real than the world can imagine, but it will also be larger and more encompassing. But as the previous parable, the emphasis lies on its small, obscure beginnings. It is now hidden and easily overlooked. Had Jesus desired to emphasize the power and the glory of the kingdom of God, he could have told a parable about a cedar tree, which is the symbol of might and splendor. But the mystery of the kingdom is not present in the cedar. It is present in a tiny mustard seed. What appears to be the smallest is nevertheless is nevertheless the greatest. And that which is hidden, the foundation of a work is laid that will encompass the whole world. You guys ever feel like a mustard seed? <laughs> I mean, you ever just feel like, what could I possibly do to help advance the kingdom of God? I mean, 
man, this guy right here, like when I started living for Jesus, guys, like I just felt like the biggest dork in the world. I still do, but I don't really care anymore. You know, back then I cared a little more. I mean, I had posture issues. Everyone was like, stand up straight. You know, I am standing up straight, you know, suck in your spit. I have headgear, you know, <laughs> leave me alone. Big teeth. Kids at school and middle school used to call me Quasimodo for my hunchback. Mosquito eyes for these bad boys, you know. I look like an ostrich that swallowed an egg and got it stuck in my throat. And you're like, can God ever use me? No, really, I'm asking you. What do you think? But I think if we're honest, we all feel like that in different ways. We're all very insecure about stuff, and that's so good. Let the Lord just keep bringing up that stuff that causes you to feel insecure because when you don't trust in yourself, you begin to trust in him. And when you're trusting in him and in his power, then he starts to move in amazing ways, okay? And so these parables, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And he goes on, and this is the closing, with many such parables, he spoke a word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. So whenever he was out in public speaking, he spoke in parables. And people would go cross-eyed and they'd walk away and leave. You know, they were like, I just can't handle this, you know. But the ones that did stick around, they got the interpretation. They got the explanation. Hearing determines. You guys have a song, right? Come on up. Get situated and shake your nerves out it's gonna be great <laughs> so glad that you're leading us in worship yeah. hearing determines whether you are an insider or an outsider will you hear jesus it is such an important first step that leads us into fellowship with jesus is hearing and that might just be a good prayer you know as we're, we're still in the baby stages of this church here with calvary's involvement and and I would just encourage you guys, when you come with your family and you begin to drive to Polina or walk to Polina or, you know, what it might be, maybe just pray with your family as you come. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to see you and hear you. Why don't we pray that as we close? Lord, we do right now. Lord, I pray it's a small enough church that, Lord, that every single one of us we know each other by name, Lord. And maybe you would just think about the people surrounding you in the pews and just pray with me for these folks around us. That, Lord, that these Polina individuals, that we as this community would have ears to hear. Unstop our ears, Lord. I think of what Hebrews chapter six says, five and six, that says, I wanted to talk to you about the deep things of God, but I was not able for you would not hear. You have grown dull of hearing. And I pray that for myself, Lord. I would be a fool to think that I don't grow dull in hearing you, Lord. Give me fresh ears to hear and fresh eyes to see. Give the wives in this room fresh ears to hear you, fresh eyes to see. The husbands, Lord, let them be 
hearing and doers of what they hear. Let the citizens of this church be doers of the word. Lord, give us comprehension. As Luke chapter 24 says, you open the eyes of the disciples that they might comprehend the scriptures. Give us comprehension, Lord. Will you stand with me as we close in song?